Like hellish iron wasps blazing down the twin barrels of underhive back alley justice. We are the rowdy vigilante hunters of the pirate Vox waves. 665.66 UHMR Chemrat Radio. Coming to you live tonight from the cracked Elysium. Hope you boys are ready to have your eardrums obliterated. Your ears cry from sheer joy as the fuck metal band shrieking melodies of Battle Barrage Death Cry shred our insanity. This electric death duo is just as hot as Mama Kaz's Bolter Pepper Ramen. Get yourself some. Mm-mm. Basking in the soothing and loving glow of blue plasma, I am your host, Goblin King. My co-host and the least hinged of all of us, it's the mad power mauler of Misfit Alley, Marky. I want to be a part of a fuck metal band, dude. I'm <laughs> just kind of curious more than anything how that works. You got to fuck metal. <laughs> <laughs> like a fleshlight made out of Just find foot. an ambot. It's like, it's like guar. It's reverse guar. I thought, I, reverse guar. I thought, I thought we were going to take you to a junkyard for a visit, Marky. Then you'd get it. L- looking... Looking for love in all the ambot wrong places. What was that shot that you're supposed to get? A tetanus shot? Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's like everybody's got to get a tetanus shot before they go in. Tetanus nuts. I don't know. Does that work? Tetanus nuts? Did I? (laughs) Speaking of, it's our very own double razor fisted polar bear, the frost hollow chuckerfy. I I, I tell you what, it's really rough, you know, these holidays because you get extra lines to do and you just naturally fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like halfway through <laughs> it's usually the opposite of what happens when you do lines so it's kind of yeah. weird yeah it's kind of weird because all the extra food too many lines and you know it's just like a circle you may have picked up that we're putting ketamine in his warp dust what what's going on <laughs> <laughs> it's an upper and a downer dude when you eat sump turkey and do a line of warp dust. Turkey. Fucking love <laughs> sump turkey. The trip to fan from the sump turkey has yeah. got to be extra special this time of year. Sump so turkey moist. sandwich. So it's so moist. <laughs> extra moist. Yeah, the sump crust really locks in the flavor. And, and it's good for your Tic Tac later when you make that sump turkey sandwiches the next day. And, and make your Tic Tac extra hard. I get mm. you, Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's the version of TikTok that we have in in the underhive? We gotta figure that out. We gotta TikTok. figure out what social media platforms mm. are, are ripping around on the newsphere. <laughs> and back uh, I don't the, think they have social media because the newsphere is as close as they got. I think they probably do. I, I I think it's one of those things where like if we've got it, they've got it. They just it's not important, so they don't talk about it. So it's just not brought up. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. And back from the ice fields where he has been researching yellow snow refinement, it's our very own hot shot with a crack shot, Kev. T- tell us how is that uh how is that Arconian husky? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh you know, if you just plug your nose, it's not so bad. It's like Fenrisian wolves. Like Arconian <laughs> huskies are like three times the size of a normal husky, but just Extra like Fen- gamey. Just like Fenrisian wolves are like more like feral and savage, Arconian huskies are more dopey. (laughs) (laughs) Extra emotional. They're just just big and stupid. (laughs) Way too hyper. (laughs) Those are the best dogs. (laughs) Right? Always. The best dogs are the big dumb ones. I'd rather have a big Big dumb dumb dog than a, a, a small smart one. Just that's me personally. I got a small, smart one right now, and it's it's a chore sometimes, but it's also so goddamn cute. Yeah, small <laughs> small dogs can have uh, 
can have very, very determined personalities, let's say. Defiant personalities. Oh, yeah. Same when with they those want something, Arconian they want Huskies, man. That's why you got to eat like the, the brother or sister, so that way it's, you, know, you teach them a lesson. Like, say, you got to establish you don't carry dominance. Your yeah. You don't carry <laughs> your weight extra extra well done it's like the they're like the size of clifford the big red dog though so instead of having like a team of them that pull a an ice skiff it's just one ah, ah. <laughs> god forbid it farts in the middle of the run because you're right there <laughs> oh yeah talk about uh that's well, how you stay you know warm it is, is, yeah it gets yeah, you warm that's how you warm you up that's the environmental control system <laughs> Fire yeah. You just poke it in the butthole and it gives you a nice puff. <laughs> Spores and all. <laughs> what are they like infected with orc stuff? Orc funky? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's that booty hole squig. <laughs> booty squig. All about those booty squigs. Welcome to episode 95, Horus Heresy, the Battle of Kalf Part 1. As we covered Istvan 3 and then later the drop site massacre of Istvan 5, we got a lot into the background of what was happening, why it was happening, and then we kind of talked about the tragedies, that because that's very much how those are. With the Battle of Kalth, we are stepping into a very pivotal, very, very pivotal, not pivotal, but a very pivotal battle. And this is really one of the first battles that is almost nonstop action story. If Kalth was made into a movie, it would be a block, you know, it would be the blockbuster action standalone be, of the summer. It would be Arnold Schwarzenegger's running around everywhere at their peak. What's yeah. that guy that made the Transformers movie? It'd be like Michael that. Bay. Michael yeah, Bay. Michael it Bay. Would be the movie. Michael Bay special. The Michael Bay of 40K, the Battle of Kalth. Istvan 3 and Istvan 5 would definitely be blockbuster movies, but they would be the like um, girl with the dragon tattoo where there is a bunch of action style but there's just a lot of dark moodiness as you're leading up to it because ah yeah like dune (laughs) yeah dune there you go that's probably a better example um as to where the battle at kalth would be mad max fury road (laughs) it just starts and it keeps going yep yep. yeah that sounds about right yeah dune dune is kind of the closest thing we have to the drop site massacre the movie yeah yeah especially (laughs) but i'm imagining when episode two comes out here pretty soon stoked i just rewatched the first well yeah, the first part. Uh, part. Part one. Part one. Uh, just was it like last week? And I was just oh, get everything man, with a gun in the air. Everything with a gun in the air. <laughs> that's such a good. That that whole scene is so well. I don't know. I just have heart plugs. I know they're not in the movie, but I just want to see heart plugs. They need to put a heart plug in the second one. <laughs> I, 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 I agree. The, I agree so much. In the David Lynch movie, in order to show like how disgusting the harkonnens were they all of their slaves had heart plugs oh right and okay. the baron just like floats up to a dude and rips out his heart plug so he can watch the guy die yeah I but those are not in the book <laughs> like that is that was entirely a david lynch thing and you it, just it wanted makes to make sense. it our harkonnens worse yeah you just want to pr- well you don't want to spend you know you can't spend 400 pages of exposition making the harkonnens the bad guys you've got to do it in like 15 in, minutes yeah so, or less sometimes. yeah yeah exactly i mean it's like vader chokes a guy in the first what 10 seconds of the movie you yeah. immediately like, know that must be the good guy up. <laughs> <laughs> that must be the good guy i don't know if you guys <laughs> saw but uh, the I, I haven't seen any of a show ahsoka, ahsoka oh you should uh, it's good um, Okay, it's not the but, best. Watch, but okay. it's watch a pretty the whole solid thing. Watch if you, yeah, watch the whole thing. 
and then come to a conclusion. I saw a trailer of Hayden Christensen walking along a platform towards her, yeah. and she's like laying on the ground. She doesn't have her lightsabers in her hands. He's like Whoa. knocked him away, and there's like lightning Marky, that flashes have you not seen it yet? behind him. No, I haven't. But oh, just the way that Ryan described it, I was like, so, Are you sure you're watching the right, dude, the right he's talking about his And the trailer, like lightning flashes behind him, and his silhouette in the fog Vader. turns into Vader for like that split second. I was like, Oh, fuck. <laughs> Yeah, they do some good, like, introspective, like, thoughts, and, like, they use a lot of cool scenery like that to make some really epic shit go down. Yeah, um, that's dope, also, right? the the Sith guy that's kind of, like... Oh, Ray, Ray Stevenson? His, yeah, the big the big dude. Um, he passed away, like, right after the show was done. Like, right after yeah, the show wrapped. Yeah, before it came out, so he actually never got to see it. Yeah. But his character is so good. That's Bailey. awesome is so good this is trudging on patreon content so we're gonna roll it back into the battle of couch <laughs> speaking of uh marky you want to do you want to read from the codilis of what would be a codice would you pronounce that codice yeah codical, codical? Don't, ask, don't ask me how to pronounce anything okay <laughs> codices. i would be say codices yeah, you want yeah. to read this? This uh, I've been saying the codices. codexes since I was ten, so I don't know. It's probably right. codices. Yeah, yeah. It's just spelled <laughs> weird. You want to read it's this quote for us? Yeah. <laughs> Codicils. Codalix. <laughs> I like that one. If you must strike a dangerous foe, your blow must be so severe that you need never fear of his vengeance. Remark two two three dot seventeen. From the codices of Robot Gilliman. Also referred to as the Calth Atrocity. And there's definitely a lazy naming convention going on here with these early heresy battles. But uh, who can blame those old Imperium scholars? Right, right, right. When the Battle of Calth took place is kind of a mess. It's insinuated that it happens after Istavan 3, but before the drop site of Istavan 5. And as we covered a few episodes ago, most of this is because the word bearers under the Primarch Logar Aurelian hadn't been present during Istavan III as the majority of the Legion had long ago fallen to chaos. So they weren't needed to be around to uh, be weeded out. There wasn't a need to purge the word bearers of a third of their Legion since Erebus and Corferon had never not been loyal to the old gods of Polis, which are the Dark Powers. And Logar had fallen some 40 years before the wounding of Horus on Davin. That gave Logar, Erebus, and Corferon a much longer time to weed out or convert any of those whose loyalties weren't assured. The reason that I'm being a little hazy about when the Battle of Calth took place is because it's a little complicated and it's not super clear. This is the insinuation when you're looking at the Istvan Three atrocity and the drop site massacre of Istvan Five, and we'll get a little bit more into where we think it actually lies or where it should lie in a second here. So the word bearers were instead of being involved, given orders by the war master to tie up the ultramarines in the realm of ultramar in the Eastern fringe, ensuring that the 13th Legion wouldn't be able to reinforce Terra in the coming conflict. Logar had planned to exterminate them outright as the two legions had a deep and hate filled rivalry. Everything came to a head at the agri world of Kalf in the Viridian system of the ultramar sector. It was here that the Ultramarines were finally able to break the Word Bearer's siege, although it came at a very high cost in Space Marines' lives and the complete destruction of Kalth's biosphere. The Word Bearers managed to devastate the Viridian system's sun, bathing the planet in radiation that stripped it of its atmosphere, a disaster that has forced all future generations of Kalth to move underground, where they now survive 
into the modern age of 40K and vast underground hive cities. The bitter hatred of the word bearers toward the Ultramarines went back nearly 40 years to the censure of Monarchia, which we've also covered already. The emperor, having grown tired of the word bearers' cumbersome advance during the Great Crusade, traveled to the world of Kerr to formally censure their actions. No longer would the legion build temples and spread the faith of the emperor, they were to instead focus on the dictates of the imperial truth. Marnakia, as you may remember, was then burned, and Logar and his legion were forced to kneel in its ashes while the ultramarines stood over them in judgment. Despite this seething hatred, both Robert Gilliman, both Primarch Robert Gilliman and his legion survived the word bearer's assault. However, this campaign did prevent the Ultramarines from participating in the Siege of Terra. So while Logar's goals may not have been achieved, Horus's goals had been. So is this the, the one with the famous scene that has, uh, I mean, we, we may not be at that part yet, where uh, the Emperor forces the word bearers to kneel? Or has that already happened? That's this already sense? happened. That so happened at Monarchia. Yeah, that happened at Mark oh, okay, okay. Monarchia. We're... They were punished as they should have been. Malarkia. So basically, we're trying to, with with this opening of what happened at Kalth, we're, we're trying to essentially establish why the word bearers hate the Ultramarines so much, why Logar hated them so much. And it was because of Monarchia. Um, and he really, you know, Logar's orders were to tie up the Ultramarines, but Horus wasn't really, didn't really specify like, hey, you know, like, you know, make them pay their back taxes or audit them or whatever. He was basically like, I don't I care how you do it. Do it. Do what happens. And Logar was like, cool, I'll destroy him. I'll completely obliterate the entire Legion. And that spoiler alert didn't happen. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, <laughs> life Ultramarine survives away. Life finds away, right? <laughs> I, I'm going to say this is and, uh, the Ultramarines. Matt Ward finds a way. This is uh, a... <laughs> In my my opinion, like this, this is, is. Go ahead, Marky. Go ahead, Jake. Go ahead. You go ahead. You have the floor, handsome. I, I, I was just I just had a joke. This was the. Are so polite this is the Mark Six plot armor. <laughs> Mark Six plot armor. <laughs> All right, Jake. Mark, Mark Six point five. I got my zinger. So go. No, ahead. I was I was gonna say this is probably the book where a lot of people, if you start reading the novels, and you don't like Ultramarines. This is the actual novel where you sit there and go, you know what? I actually do like Gilman. I actually do like how the Ultramarines are set up in 30K, like in this history. And if you like the word bearers and you read this book, you'll be like, fuck yeah. <laughs> for a good, like, burn it to the ground. For a good, like, two thirds. And then you'll be like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> for the last wait, third. We were winning. Yeah, what happened? <laughs> we were winning. Because where, where Roboot gets uh, interviewed at the back and he's like, I'm not going to lie. They had us in the first half. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, they had us in the first half, you know, we got we got our defense to settle in there and uh, yeah, everything went good. Yeah. Got some catches Logar made. Was just like, why does my why does my ass suddenly hurt? What is going on right now? It's that he plot. It. It's that Mark plot. Six plot armor. Yeah. yeah I, was gonna say, the... I was trying to make that into like it's that, it's that Mark Six butt plug. Yeah, it's yeah. that Mark Six plot butt plug, right? <laughs> got that extra arm that just shifts out the ass. Like you know how they have you know how they have chainswords? It's just a chainsword, but it's butt plug. <laughs> What if Instead they had like chain sword Isn't tails? Isn't that more like a chain fist? That sounds like a Slanesh <laughs> thing, bro. <laughs> Have you seen the Infinity the Gauntlet? The, the gyrating <laughs> chain sword? Oh, oh my god. <laughs> uh, <laughs> got three of them on the end of it. Is it, that, is that's it. it. I want to see the Emperor children um, 
kit bash where it's a bunch of little tongues on the chainsaw instead of oh, the teeth. Logar's like, man, I sure <laughs> hope Gilman doesn't steal this <laughs> custom chain fist from me and use it on me. Oh, please, no. Oh, no. Oh, I tripped. Oh, <laughs> oh step no. Gilman. Isn't that, oh, no, isn't that actually Fulgrim's, like, the whole thing with Fulgrim? Oh, step Gilman. Wow. <laughs> oh, step Gilman. Step Primark. <laughs> Step Primark, help me. Step Primark, I'm stuck on the command council. Step Mark, I'm stuck on the golden throne. Whoa. (laughs) My life alert is not working. (laughs) All right. So the War Master's treachery hadn't been revealed until the frigate Eisenstein, under the command of Death Guard loyalist Captain Nathaniel Garrow, brought news to the of the Istvan Three atrocity to Terra. Because of this, Horus had been able to move the legions around like pieces on a regicide board, deploying those he considered a bigger threat to the farthest campaigns, the Blood Angels having been sent to the Cygnus Cluster, the Dark Angels being sent to Tuscaloosa and the word bearers and ultramarines being ordered to muster at Calf. Horus had fed false intelligence to Reboot Gilliman, which suggested that the Viridian system far to the galactic south of Terra was under threat by the orcs of the Galgesh Empire, which both the 13th Legion ultramarines and the 17th Legion word bearers mustered to protect against and then completely go forward and exterminate through a crusade against them. This meant that Gilliman departed Soul System for this muster point mere months before news reached Terra of the treachery at Istavan. So all of this is happening. All of these communications are crossing. Everything's crossing in the wind, essentially. Furthermore, turbulence in the warp meant not only would the Ultramarines be sent on a weird and winding and therefore long path to get to Kalth, but they would not be in contact with Terra throughout the entire time. So Terra was unable to recall them. Terra was when it, unable to be like, hey, shit's going down. We think the word bearers are part of this heresy. You need to watch your back or you need to stop what you're doing. You need to come back to Terra now. For their part, the word bearers would also be delayed, this time by the opening slaughter at Istavan. And here's where some of the weirdness with the timelines and lores come in. While some of it can be explained away with how the warp works and the relativistic speed of light and the way that information would travel, a lot of other parts just don't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. It's almost as if this was penned early enough in the Black Library that not everybody was sitting at the table with each other yet. It's stated that the word bearers were sent to muster at Kalth just before Horus's treachery at Istavan 3. That's stated. In the Istavan 3 roundup, Horus sends the word bearers to Kalth before. It was given as one of the reasons that the word bearers weren't there, but they were present at Istavan 5, which would suggest that Kalth happened between Istavan 3 and Istavan 5. It is further suggested that the ruined storm, which was powered by sacrifices at Kalth, happened after Istavan 5. In fact, it would have had to have happened after Istavan 5. And the timeline says that Istavan 3 took place in 003.m31, Istavan 5 in 005.m31, and Kalth in 007.m31. So we basically have like conflicting reports of what's happening. All of this can mostly be hand-waved away as the fact that most of the lore that we're talking about right now is presented as histories of scholars that were recorded sometime between the Age of Apostasy and M35 and the Era Indominus and M42. So this shit wasn't written down or wasn't well written down until M35. That's when people started collecting all these reports and putting this history together. And as we covered way back in our season one, 
it's unclear in modern 40K whether or not it's M42 or M43. In fact, Robert Reboot Gilliman, when he comes back to the Imperium in the 42nd or 43rd millennium, tasks the Inquisition with figuring out what the fuck is going on with the calendar because the calendar doesn't make sense. There's a bunch of missing data and all of that. Plus warp fuckery and, of course, the relativistic speeds of travel at, that we already mentioned. I think it makes the most sense, and we've all kind of talked about this, that Kalth would have taken place after, like within weeks of Istvan V. Just keep in mind, though, that a lot of what we're talking about and the reason that sometimes we present stuff out of order is this is all ancient history and a lot of it is semi-mythic events to anyone that would be in the modern Imperium. So some of these inconsistencies really aren't that big of a deal. Like, you know, when you look question back, go ahead. On, on the timeline, I don't remember, and maybe some of the people that have listened to the podcast don't remember, was Logar at Istvan 5? Logar, Erebus, and Corferon, plus a lot of word bearers were at Istvan 5. Okay. And there's a reason. <laughs> there is a really, really clear reason that Istvan 5 had to happen before Kalth, regardless and of what so, the Istvan 3 book suggests. Yeah, so that they makes did, sense. The, the argument could be made the warp was on Chaos's side, so they were able to slippery travel really quick and that's why i think that the battle of kalth happened in 005.m312 i don't think it happened two years later i think it happened within like weeks oh yeah definitely it probably had to have been weeks like years for some people well and the other just yeah, they the don't other th understand time <laughs> yeah the other thing that we know is that the realm of ultramar which at this point i think is called the ultramar Co coalition it's not called the realm of ultramar yet but the 500 we'll get into that worlds in a right they're far enough away from the imperium from the center from terra that when you look at data that comes from them they pass through like seven astropaths and that's important to note because anytime multiple, it, as we talked about in the past, astropaths right. are like playing a giant game of telephone. So at any point, the realm of Ultramar may think it's the seventh year of M31, where Terra is like, no, it's the fifth year of M31. And they're not in sync because of that drift, essentially. And that's yeah. just, it's just kind of important to keep in mind. The opinion of the podcast is that Kelf happened after the drop site massacre. massacre the opinion <laughs> of the podcast, the massacre, it's, it's, uh, that's when I drop into Mike Tyson. The massacre <laughs> of Ithvan V, um, my opinion, the atrocity. <laughs> it was an atrocity, and that's why I bit his ear. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so it's the opinion of the podcast that Kalf had to happen right after the Dropsite Massacre, as Logar, Erebus, and Corferon, as Chuck just brought up, we're all involved in Istvan V. And to complete the runestone ritual, or to start the runestorm ritual, and to start, in fact, the invasion of Kalf, they 100% had to have had, it had to have happened after Istvan V. So the fact that the Istvan III book says, well, the word bearers weren't here because they were being sent to Kalf, and then it, it's just weird. Just realize it's weird. We're not trying to confuse you guys. It's literally just how the lore is presented. Kalth was one of the glittering jewels of the Ultramar Coalition, which would later be called the Realms of Ultramar, and Logar wished to destroy it as much as he wanted to exterminate the entirety of the 13th Legion. So this is one of those, like, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to destroy all your stuff. This was all in retaliation for the Ultramarines' participation in the burning of Monarchia four decades earlier. 
Howth was a verdant agri-world located in the Viridian system, and its manufacturing output was on track to rival and even surpass that of McCraig within the next 30 or so years. Talks had even begun around the construction of a superorbital ring, much like that which orbited Terra, which would vastly improve Cal's ability to move goods to and from orbit. In an example of the Emperor's new golden age, Kalth stood next to McCraig, Samarth, Connor, Akulad, and Ix in the Ultramar sector as vastly advanced and incredibly wealthy worlds. This was a planet on the fast track to become one of the anchor points for the new glorious imperial civilization that was said to flourish in the afterglow of the Great Crusade's achievements. An example of all things the word bearers had come to hate. Their sneak attack would also serve to reveal the word bearer's allegiance to the ruinous powers and the Warmaster Horus. And since the 17th Legion were already completely sworn to those powers, their passage through the warp, as Chuck pointed out, was very swift and very uneventful. Ultramarines leave Terra, probably, you know, 004M31, and they just get bogged down and spit back and thrown out and pulled in, and it's like going through a maze. The word bearers. Straight as a fucking arrow. Command of the slaughter that was to follow was given to Corferon by his promic Logar, and the first captain of the board bearers would execute these orders with the assistance of the dark apostle Erebus. Logar hoped the assault would gain him favor in the eyes of the Chaos Gods, and had set the primary objective as the destruction of the 13th Legion Ultramarines, and his secondary and personal objective being the death of Raboot Gilliman, his hated rival. Gilliman and a large chunk of the 13th Legion had been stationed near the moons of Saturn and Sol System when they had received their orders from the Warmaster to muster at Kalf. This sizable a force of space marines, the weight of two legions, the Ultramarines and the Wordbearers, hadn't been seen since the Olinor Crusade. And some within Primarch Raboot Gilliman's command questioned the need for such a large force as tactical audits of the Galash Orcs showed they presented little real-world threat to the Imperium. However, some of the more experienced chapter masters realized that the Ultramarines could help the tarnished reputation of the word bearers by operating in concert with them, with an assault on Galash being intended to demonstrate the authority of the Warmaster over all of the Legionists' Astartes. So there was this like, this is overkill, but maybe it's to save face for the word bearers. Like that was the, what's it called when you um, justify something? <laughs> The plausible deniability. Uh, yeah, no, it's the, yeah, it's the the way that they're they it, they're they're worried, but they're like, there's no reason it's, to think that anybody's treacherous yet, so they're they're justifying it's the, it. Essentially, it's the whole it's the whole thing. Uh, yeah, your big brother punched you in the face, but now he has to help you out. Exactly, exactly. Mend that fence. Be good to each other. Quit being a whiny little spoiled kid, or I'll slap you again. Which all the traitor, le- which which all the traitor legions are. <laughs> <laughs> Which one of us plays Imperial Fists? I forgot. <laughs> That's the golden child. Exactly. <laughs> the one that gets all the resources, all the nutrients. Right. Because he's yeah, got in the, in the well all pit. the guidance. <laughs> in the well pit. Mark, because are you does, bringing it back to Skaven? <laughs> he d- back, oh, back to Skaven, huh? Best Get armor, the best weapons, best food. Like, I like this color rat, and there's not a lot of them, so I'm going to give him more. Man, these rats that are painted yellow are the best. <laughs> there you go, Chuck. When you do wow. your when you do your Skaven conversion army, yeah, yeah. There's a kit bash I got to do now. Yep. Thank you. More work You're on welcome. the agenda. 
Reboot Gilliman, recognizing Horus's rightful authority, moved his legion to Kalth and ordered a rendezvous with other elements of the Ultramarines and take on supplies for the coming campaign. The Ultramarines would join with the word bearers and combine their efforts to crush the Greenskins. Gilliman felt that the Emperor had been wrong to use the Ultramarines as an instrument of humiliation against the word bearers' legion or as an example against any of the other Astartes to get towards the idea of the perfection of them. Gilliman knew relations between the Ultramarines and the word bearers had been poisoned by what had happened on Kerr, but thought that Horus had ordered the two legions to work jointly in the pacification of Golosh in an attempt to close the rift that had opened between them, just as Chuck pointed out. Brothers are fighting. Now you need to work together. You need to heal that wound. There were many signs that the tragedy would soon touch Kalf, and given the Ultramarines' reputation at maintaining readiness, it could be considered incompetent on their end that so few of these warning signs were heeded. The first whisper of the word bearers coming betrayal came as a minor interruption in Vox traffic around Kalf that was attributed to a solar distortion. Soon reports of voices chanting over Kalthian Vox links came flooding in. This eerie chanting interfered with the main orbital data feeds all across the planet itself. Kalth communication controls reported an hour later that there was a series of malfunction events and warned that further communication disruption might be expected during the day until the problem was tracked down and identified. An hour after that, on the night side of Kalth, came the first nightmares. Hundreds of the Ultramarines had been librarians before the Emperor's decree at the Council of Nikea. While many Astartes librarians resented these decrees, they nonetheless honored their oaths to the Emperor and surrendered their librarian panoply and war gear, returning to the lines as ordinary battle brothers. It was to some of these Astartes that the next signs of the coming tragedy were revealed, as those gifted with psychic abilities suffered severe stabbing headaches right behind their eyes. They ignored the pain, chalking it up to nothing more than fatigue attributed to the preparations of the coming campaign against the orcs. To keep on schedule, it had not been possible to shut down higher mental functions and sleep or meditate. So these guys were already kind of running on fumes. They were overtaxed and working too hard, again, because they'd been stuck and delayed in the warp for so long. But this mysterious pain was actually a warning sign broadcast through the warp of the impending approach of the forces of chaos. The former librarians all ignored the headaches, with few surviving long enough to regret it afterward. I thought there was like a whole big thing about... Um librarians and whatnot with uh because of magnus and the whole thing that happened on his home planet all of this is happening relatively yeah it's all sort of happening within the same clutch of years and uh, so magnus his librarians refused to set aside their panoply and their war gear so they kept their hoods they kept the panoply and they kept their war gear and they continued acting as librarians in secret and that's what got them in trouble uh, um, the Council of Nikea happened before the burning of Prospero. The Council of Nikea is one of the linchpin events of the Great Crusade. Uh, and this is one of the first times, the second time really, if you count Istvan V, this is the second time that that's kind of come back to bite the Imperium in the ass. The Imperium. Yep. <clears throat> because the librarians were like being, you know, they were getting these... Yeah. You got all these psychers getting these headaches. All these psychers going, why is my head hurt? Before the Council of Nikea, they probably would have said something. But after Nikea, if they're like, man, my head hurts, if I tell somebody, they're probably just going to kill me. It wasn't that uh, they were. Actually, my head doesn't hurt. (laughs) It wasn't so much that they were afraid that they would get blessed. 
It was more that they were, they had been ordered not to seek out answers in the warp. So they get a headache uh, and they're like, and then they're just like, oh, I feels, just shouldn't pay attention to that. Yeah, this feels warpy, but I was told not to, not to look not into to that. I'm, I'm okay. supposed to ignore it. And then Close of course, the third eye. Yeah. And then of course they justify it. You know, you're justifying after just like justifying all of the weird Vox traffic, just like the justification. Yeah. Every single time something happens, there's a weird like justification. Like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. They keep like, justifying uh, it. Ibuprofen out. in the water. Yeah, is right. it? I think it's it is hand waving. Yeah. Nothing to see here. They're self gas one hundred percent. They're they're self gaslighting. That's these a really are not good the droids you're looking for. These are not the word bearers to fear. <laughs> My head hurts. Which, what was that? Nothing. Which, which like you what? said, like how <laughs> how high readiness and everything the ultramarines always are. That's what at least two warnings you think someone higher up in the, uh, the ultramarines something. hierarchy would have been like, um, why is all this weird stuff happening all of a sudden? Yeah. It's blinders on, man. Oh man, not even Magnus escaped that. Go to yellow yeah, alert. Right. Take it up a notch. Start playing two minutes to midnight by Iron Maiden. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> For days, the word bearers chaos cult had chanted monotonously into the ether, conducting sacrificial rituals intended to bring forth the entities of the warp to support their cause. Eight names had been repeated, constantly broadcast into the data flows of Cal's global cogitator network. No data filter or no no spheric. Right? No spheric. Is that how we pronounce that? New sphere. New sphere. New sphere. New spheric. Okay. No data filters nor new spheric barriers would block the repeating code or erase it, for they were neither toxic code or viral data, but just normal characters. They were just names. However, once they were inside the system and had been read and absorbed by the Mechanicus new sphere, they began to grow in size. These names became combinations of letters with longer, deeper meanings, which essentially became runic chaotic sorcery. Their implemented meetings were caustic, infectious, and indelible, and they were eight, the sacred number of chaos, the octed. Ul Kel Hest, a Mechanicus server of instrumentation stationed in an orbital watchtower high above Kalth, detected a scrap code within the global cogitator system, a cluster of dull amber diseased information threads that were buried deep in the mass of healthy data, making up about 2% more than any analytica projected had calculated for the Kalth newsphere. So they always kind of accepted some percentage there is a there's a percent of defect that they're expecting but this is two percent it's not you know less than half a percent or whatever their acceptable tolerance is this was an unacceptable margin for error for the system and the mechanicus senior tech priests reported the problem to gilliman informing the primarch that the scrap code problem was a hindrance while regrettable these things did often happen within complex cogitator systems and should not hamper his legion's preparations for the coming campaign this was small enough that it was ignored, essentially. By this time, multiple word-bearer vessels had already arrived in the Kalth system, including a half-dozen crimson-colored vessels, unusual for the word-bearers since the 17th Legion's colors were as flat steel gray. Among them was the massive Infidus Imperator, which means false emperor, the grand cruiser and flagship of First Captain Carferon, and Destiny's Hand, the battle barge of the Dark Apostle Erebus who is tasked with a vital mission on behalf of the Warmaster, while the rest of the 17th Legion's vessels stationed themselves to the rear of the massive orbital flotilla gathered above the world, this would be the Ultramarines and the Wordbearers, 
Erebus teleported down to Kalth's surface on the Satiric Plateau located 2,000 miles north of Numas City, an area covered in frost from a hard winter. The barrier between real space and the warp was exceptionally thin, and the site had been deemed the best potential site to conduct a blasphemous, chaotic ritual. So I'm assuming stuff happened. Yeah, it's kicking I, off. I just, I, I, I just <laughs> want to say that that you know that perfect warrior guy ignored his own needs. I'm, I'm just saying that Primark ignored what he was told. It's really weird. It's like Dorn's here bitching in the background. I, I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying, bro. Can you just see Dora just <laughs> sitting in the corner, like, if my librarians had headaches, I would have noticed. Well, he wouldn't have because the information they were, they were locked to up. a fucking vault in the phalanx. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were all locked up. Like, you know, they should have been for being mutants. <laughs> wow. wow. They got released to deal with the demon later. That's definitely well, a battle what, we'll be talking about. What, what I'm saying is, how many warnings, how many big warnings is this now? Three? Three. Yeah. Although the word bearers showing up in system and taking position within the flotilla didn't seem that odd. You know that the ships being a different color is a little weird, but like <laughs> Hey, that's weird. They're all painted different. Yeah, why'd they yeah, paint whatever. them different? That, yeah. I'll talk that, to them uh, after the fight and find out. You know? uh, yeah, that literally like yeah, that, it becomes like a meal conversation. Like, hey, why'd you guys repaint your shit? It's it's not that. It's now you've got the mechanicus is telling you, hey, um, there's extra virus, like, popping up. Bad code. Like, what do you want to do with it? It's it's past what you dictated to be acceptable. Yeah, and I, I think the big thing is that in it, it, any of these signs alone are very ignorable. These signs Absolutely. all happening at the same time are a problem, but because the ultramarines are trying to justify what's happening, they're gaslighting themselves, as Kevin put it. Um, they're not seeing them as all together. They're seeing them as separate incidences. What, what you know is what Marky, I mean? Like they're not go. Yeah. What, what's Marky called this? Is a uh, Marky plot armor six right here? <laughs> Mark six plot armor. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, si- Mark six plot armor. You gotta let the stuff. signs. You gotta let the signs go for something to happen. A word bearer's strike team led by. And Sember Zote, one of the dreaded demon-possessed Gal Vorbach, was already on Kalth awaiting the Dark Apostle. He had with him a work party of Tenzar Kal, the recursive family, one of the many chaos cults that served the 17th Legion. This would become the point of true conjunction on Kalth, what the word bearers were going for. The men of the call laid out a circle of polished black rocks upon the ground, each taken from the volcanic slopes of Istvan V and marked with blasphemous sigils. This is the reason why I say, regardless of what the Istvan Three book says, Kalth had to take place after the Dropsite Massacre. It gets there's even more examples. Arranged in the perfect circle, a kilometer in diameter, these rocks were summoning stones whose latent chaotic power could make one sick just by holding them. The men of the Tenzar call then marched in procession towards the summoning circle, each carrying offerings from the Istvan system. These were portable stasis flasks filled with murky, bloody fluid as they contained progenoid glands and gene seed harvested from the legions that had fought on Istvan 3 and Istvan 5, another reason why it had to happen after. Traitor and loyalists alike. As the call carried these flasks across the mystical border created by the summoning stones, the bearers started to whimper and retch. Several passed out or suffered strokes, falling and smashing their flasks on the ground. As the moon rose in perfect alignment, Erebus sent a message to the traitors in orbit. The time had come for the word bearers to have their revenge against the ultramarines. 
and their insufferable Primarch. In high orbit over Kalf, on the Ultramarine's vessel Samothrace, Captain Sort Torch, Sorto Church. Chur? Sorto Chur. I hate trying to pronounce some of these names out loud. G dub. <laughs> Smashing consonants together doesn't help in English. <laughs> Captain Sorto Chur of the word bearers. Sorot. Sorot Chur? Sorot. You're right. Sorot. Captain Sorot Chur of the word bearers was enjoying a formal dinner with his ultramarines counterpart and friend honoris lucio captain of the 209th company sure received his orders to carry out his part of the plan and returned to the dining table with his fellow word bearers as the two astartes officers struck up a conversation the ultramarines captain became aware that his counterpart seemed agitated sure shared with lucio battlefield tactics that he had recently learned while fighting in the istavon system which he thought the ultramarines captain would appreciate Unaware of the recent Imperial campaigns in the Instavon system, Lucille's interest was piqued. The word bearer's officers spoke of the art of betrayal and its inherent power, especially if it was committed against a trusted ally or close friend. Asked to join in the advance into the Ultramore system, this was the word bearer's subtle warning to Lucille that in order to show his loyalty to the word bearer's new cause, he must first betray his friend. Lucille realized the meaning of this obscure warning far too late and rose to his feet to defend himself, but was cut down with a well-placed plasma bolt that was shot through his chest. Then Schur and the rest of his word bearers slaughtered Lucille's entire entourage, which made up the heart of the leadership of the 209th Company. These ultramarines became the first casualties of the Battle of Kalf and were offered as sacrifices to the ruinous powers. On the bridge of the Somathrace, an alarm alerted the officer of the watch of a malfunction in his cogitator system, clarifying a shocking message, weapons discharge, company deck. The officer of the watch then roused security forces on the deck and began to cordon off and secure the entire area that had been used by the 209th company. Suddenly, general quarters were sounded, and the bridge came alive with a cacophony of various alarms and klaxons. The primary alarm the proximity alarms, the collision warning alerts, the course defected advisor, every warning system began to blare at once. Looking at the main screen for visual verification, the officer of the watch saw a starship heading at full collision speed for the heart of the ultramarines fleet gathered above Kalf. <laughs> it makes me think of the dinner between Han Solo and Darth Vader in Cloud City. Yeah. Like, obviously... That goes south really fast, but <laughs> is is this the one that has like a a fan video created for it? Possibly, but it shows uh, like people getting sp like slaughtered in like a city, and yeah, it's um, like the ultramarines. And it was pre Astartes. Somebody was working yeah. on yeah. There there fan is a film. Yeah, there is a battle of Cal fan film. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, it shows a bunch of uh, word bearers like Terminators like teleporting into the planet, and yeah, murdering yeah. their way through a bunch of civilians. Because I I'm thought sorry, I remember I... <laughs> that specifically where there was like two <clears throat> like leader it looking space marines and one of them just blasts a hole in the Blast other one's chest. Hole in the other one's chest. Yeah. yeah, and this is like during a formal dinner, so these guys aren't in full battle armor, but the word what? bearers are ready. The word bearers have all their weapons, so as soon as this first shot is made, That's just all the word bearers it's stand up wedding. and blast out. Yeah. 100%. Mm. It's it's like the Red Wedding. Everybody yeah. thinks they're here to have a good feast, and then it's like, oh, man, and like, wouldn't it suck if we were assholes? Just kidding. We are. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's really hard to, like, yeah, it's really hard to kind of enforce the subtlety of that conversation, but this dude didn't necessarily want to betray his friend. Like, he didn't, 
he was but definitely he, not he going to, to betray yeah. his legion, but he didn't want to betray his friend. It was that it's that there's, whole like Yeah, there's a lot of that in these novels of like Oh yeah. Uh, I don't yep. want to do this. They know as soon as they step over the line there's no coming back. That's part of it. And then the other thing is that in a lot of cases these guys do have very good battlefields, like brotherhood uh, uh relationship not relationships like connections essentially like they're very in a lot of cases these dudes are really good friends when all this shit goes down so the first phase of the word bearer's attack plan had gone unseen and undetected much earlier as it had happened on the silent outer reaches of the viridian system the act was the taking of an aged fleet auxiliary tender by the name of the campanile which had gone unreported as none had survived the takeover the ship fell silent just as the first of the word bearers fleet came out of the warp into the Viridian system with the mess of Vox traffic completely masking any loss of anything. Essentially all these ships come in Vox channels go live. One ship blipping out of existence becomes again, a clerical error. It's not seen as a problem by itself. Here's sign four. <laughs> How it had been captured didn't yeah. matter. Whether by some warp-tainted psyker fated to die as an act of ritual sacrifice or some warp entity breaching the ship's hull, slaughtering the entire crew and taking control of the vessel's systems. The captured camp in Nile had crossed the inner defense ring of Kalf, its codes being accepted as authentic by the orbital defense grid. The mass of the ultramarine's feet lay in its path as well as Kalf's massive orbital dockyard. As it passed within the orbit of Kalf's moon, it suddenly began to accelerate. The captured vessel screamed into Kalf's orbit like a streaking projectile fired from a bolter, heading directly for Kalf's fleet yards and the fledgling infrastructure of the planet's first proper superorbital ring. So they had started to build the ring at this point. It somehow managed to miss some of the larger vessels, either grazing off them with its void shields or skimming the surface. But smaller crafts like cargo boats, lighters, ferries, and maintenance riggers that lay in the Camp in Nile's path were utterly annihilated. The Ultramar Azimoth Graving Dock was vaporized by the runaway vessel. Several Ultramarines vessels suffered catastrophic hull damage and multiple orbital manufactory models were destroyed, instantly killing thousands of Imperial artificers and engineers. The Camp in Nile losing none of its momentum and continued with its suicidal orbital plunge. Next, the captured vessel punched through a hollow construction spheroid that housed three separate vessels, obliterating them all. The assembly ruptured. Debris propelled into the attached habitat modules, avoiding them into space. Its continued trajectory caused the Calthviridian anchor to shudder under the onslaught. Internal explosions occurred throughout the structure as even more starships in various states of disrepair were destroyed or catastrophically damaged. Larger battleships exploded as their power plants and vast ammunition stockpiles were critically compromised. Huge burning sections of the orbital yard superstructure, as well as the, the debris of destroyed vessels, rained down upon the surface of Kalf. Then Ultramar's Zenith graving dock suffered integral gravimetric failure and began to drop out of orbit, twisting and breaking as it plummeted to the planet below. The massive Grand Cruiser Antrodamicus supported by the dock, ripped free of its moorings and slid backwards, caught in the gravity well of Kalf. Its drives offline, it had no power to stabilize itself or prevent its inevitable doom. And still the Camp in Nile, a gargantuan mass of streaking death, continued to carve its path of destruction. It annihilated a, a pair of slipways and ships within them, ramming through the vital data engine hub and destroying multiple data engines as well. 
the automatics failed, and the new sphere experienced a critical and fatal interruption. The orbital fleet yard power core was obliterated, killing over 35,000 men and women. Only then did the Campanile finally begin to break up, its chunks still traveling at immensely higher real space velocities, one of the disintegrating vessel's pieces tearing apart another ultramarine battleship. Once the remaining pieces of the Campanile cleared the far side of the Calth Viridian anchor, they rained down, burning like meteorites upon the surface of the planet. So this was just like a word bear ship that's just lunging it itself into the planet? It was an ultramarine ship. Well, it was a Calth ship. It was a ship of Ultramar. Oh, oh, oh. And it was... Um, it was, it was a- at dock, so it was off. So imagine if you just like cut the lines off of an aircraft carrier and it just wandered around the harbor, smashing into things. Oh, it, it was way, way out in the system. So it was at the edge of this. It wasn't in dock. It was at the edge of the system. Was um, this? Oh, my bad. I thought it... Oh, no, it hit the dock on the way in. It hits the dock, yeah. It basically it, comes screaming out of the blackness. And the first so ship that sees it remember, is Somathras, uh, uh, the, the Somathrace. But the Somathrace is under this like uh, perfect timing. The Somathrace goes into this weird condition red where it's got to deal with its own shit. And then this ship comes screaming by it. So the only ship that was capable of dealing with it was busy, has all this internal conflict. Yeah. So, Marky, you remember Jurassic Park 2? Yeah. You remember the the scene where the boat with the T-Rex on it and everybody yeah, it just dead, comes out of the fog and it's just coming full throttle into the, into the dock. Okay. So it's very it's similar more, to that situation. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, okay. that, it's, yeah. It's essentially and, and, an orc rock. Yeah. yeah it's, and, it's behaving like an orc. Did, did I miss why it just did this or they just, you just explained that. It Were you sleeping it this whole time while Ryan's did, beautiful I, no, voice dude, was reading? I, I don't know if I just missed the beautiful first voice. part of like His why this So before, so before, <laughs> just before everything kicked off, just before Erebus went go, some chaos element took over the Camp and Nile. So the Camp and Nile is essentially like a big trade ship. It's probably a big transport. They call it a tender, and I wasn't able to really figure out what a tender was. But uh, it's, tenders are fuelers. They're, okay, they're the big ass they, fuel ships. So that makes it, sense. It, it would hold food, water, yeah, fuel. All this the, is all a the stuff that you need to ship. resupply a warship because a warship you don't want to carry all that because the more of that stuff you carry, the less good stuff. Yeah. So think of like a black ship. Essentially, it's a it's that's how massive this thing was, and it was an old one, so it was just sitting way way out in the system probably had kind of been co-signed to uh like a Partially space station status uh, I, yeah. I was just trying to see like when when this thing got taken over like right I, before the word bears came into the system yeah but are they the ones who took it? yes yeah the word bears did this it's like in the action movie you know when when the bad guys or good guys or whoever it is they go get that truck that's parked way in the back yeah in the shadows and the watchtower's light just can't see it it's that no, scene i, I understand yeah. all that um he's, it's he's the asking initial when it got part. to go over yeah, so, yeah because it was just I, I don't know if like i just glossed over that part or what but it just went from the word bearer's initial plan of attack was this and then all of a sudden the ship's flying towards the planet and pretty, pretty much yeah. so okay. the word bearers had <laughs> snuck into the system before. So the Gal Vorbach were already on the planet. They had snuck into the system before all this had happened. And then either a lone Chaos Psyker had gotten onto the Camp and Nile or a light or it had turned into a demon ship. And we're not okay. really sure. So um, that was like their it. first plan of attack essentially is that they yeah, came into orbit the and this thing got taken over and then sent towards the planet. 
Yeah. The go bang ship. Yeah, they took it over a couple of days before the word bears started and they Actually, just started okay. moving towards the planet. So it had been like slow burning the entire time. And then of course, you know, there's that moment, like that Star Wars moment where like, oh, the codes are older, but they're still on file, sir. And then they just wave the ship through. And then the third Star Wars, or I'm sorry, the sixth Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's an old the code, third, but it checks out. Yeah, it's an old set of codes, but it checks out. Yeah. And, and it does that. And as soon as it gets past essentially the big orbital lasers that would have blown anything coming from out system this fast out of the air, it immediately burns hard all of its engines. It gets, gets past that point where Kalth's defense ring can deal with it, and then it burns hard. It's, you know, getting through the blockade and then crashing the car. <laughs> yeah. Straight yeah. into Buenos Aires. Yeah. Again, I, I understood all of that. I just didn't understand when the transition happened of yeah. the word bears got there and took this thing over and then sent it along kind of thing. And the main reason is because it's not really known that the assumption is that it was either a psyker that they got <clears> onto <throat> the, the vessel or a chaos demon took it over. Yeah, it's, a, it's that scene in the movie when they show up with the truck and they're like, hey, look what we got. And you're like, oh, that's where those people have been for the last 15 minutes in the movie. You didn't see what they did. It's not quite as bad as the end of like, now you see me where you're all of a sudden like Mark Ruffalo is the bad guy the entire fucking time. That wasn't there was no hint. You made that up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Back aboard the Sumathrace, Sorat Tort. Chor, Jesus Christ, this dude's fucking name. <laughs> Back aboard the Sumathrace, Sorat Chor and his Astartes advance toward the main bridge, killing most of the ship's crew, burning through blast hatches that had been closed in desperation. Finally, Chur confronted the ship's captain, who refused to assist the traitorous word bearers, but he was completely ignored. So Chur comes in to the bridge, and the dude's like, we will not capitulate. And Shuri is just like, yeah, I wasn't going to ask you to. And he fucking kills him. <laughs> like, he's like, you weren't part of my plan, bro. <laughs> just brutally executes this guy. Let's like, aggressive nice. negotiation. Yeah, aggressive negotiation. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> that's nice. Your assistance wasn't required. <laughs> that's cool. I wasn't going to take your surrender anyways. <laughs> and as soon as he drops this dude, his word bearers just open up and execute the entire bridge crew. And this is, this is like it, you know, like this is the official start of the battle at Kalf. The, the first, the first shots were all fired aboard this ship. The orbital shipyard Kalf Viridian anchor was damaged beyond the possibility of salvation or stabilization by the impact of the Campanile. With the destruction of Kalf's main data engine hubs, the Mechanicus's ability to communicate had been sundered. Their systems compromised beyond repair. The other orbital stations that rode at Cal's high anchor had been shattered beyond repair as well, consumed by firestorms fed by trapped atmosphere and fuel. So as this atmosphere and fuel is venting into space, it's just causing like massive space fire tornadoes, essentially. It's gutting everything. And that as soon as that happens, as soon as that fire happens, it tears the system apart. It's not going to burn for long, but it's going to completely gut whatever it's in. The Ultramarines fleet and Cal's orbital fleet yard infrastructure had suffered a grievous injury, while the death toll among Imperial personnel and Calvinian civilians in orbital habitats was catastrophic. In the first few seconds that followed the Campanile's impact, starships across high anchorage had attempted to desperately power up their drives and bring their weapon systems back online. Some attempted to generate enough power in a vain hope of raising their void shields or to slip their moorings 
in order to reposition in case of coming attack. Then the massive Grand Cruiser Rapidus Rex, which the Word Bearers Legion had renamed the Infidus Imperator, as I mentioned earlier, that means false emperor, opened fire. Corferon's massive warship discharged all of its primary lance weapons at the battle barge Sons of Ultramore, obliterating it in one brutal salvo. In formation behind the massive Wordbearer's flagship, other warships of the 17th Legion's fleet, including the Crown of Colis, the battleship Camille, the Flame of Purity, the Spear of Sendros, and the battle barge Destiny's Hand all opened fire upon the remains of the Ultramarine's fleet riding at high anchor. Shipmaster Uwan Hamid, the captain of the Ultramarine's heavy destroyer Sanctity of Samarath, saw the Infidus begin its merciless plow along the anchorage line of docked Loyalist vessels, watching the vessel execute starships the way a man might execute a row of helpless prisoners. But like the majority of the Ultramarine's fleet, the Sanctity was sitting at anchor with its drives cold, and it would take at least 50 minutes to rouse the ship to operational readiness. Power plants at their lowest yield for the purpose of maintenance, loading and embarkation checks, with their drives, weapons, and shields all offline, leaving them all under the protective Aegis of Cal's planetary defense grid, which is failing. So the Aegis that was supposed to protect them was gutted by the Campanile. The word bearers continued their onslaught of the Loyalist fleet unabated, leaving Raboot Gilliman to witness the treachery of his brother Logar firsthand. So this was like almost a... Pearl Harbor kind of deal, sounds like. That's a very good way of putting it. Yeah. Because even the guys that they think are on there, that, you know, at a certain point, the Camp of Nile could have just been a tragedy at this point. It could have just been a random occurrence, like what the fuck happened. Yeah. And then the word bears. And then it turned up. into an atrocity. Yeah, and then the word bears open up. And they open up at point blank range. And there's nothing, you know, like, what are you going to do? They're right there. Yeah. That is brutal. Okay. Ultramarine is getting a little little taste. Yep. This is <coughs> this is Roboot. So your best Roboot. Oh, this voice. is Roboot. So you should uh, be like my, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> poor 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 oh, Ultramarine Roboot. players. My right. <laughs> brother, hear me. Warriors of the seventeenth Legion, hear me. This violence is against the code of the Legionus Astartes and against the will of our father, the Emperor. In the name of the 500 worlds of Ultramar, I implore you to cease fire and stand down. Open communication with me. Let us speak. Let us settle this. This action is an error of the most tragic kind. Cease fire. I, Roboot Gilliman, give you my solemn pledge that we will deal with each other frankly and fairly if these hostilities can be suspended. I urge you to respond. Box Transmission Primark Roboot Gilliman Battle of Kelth Mark 0.00.01. So this would be like the Battle of Kelth has officially completely started. There's no denying it. This is the first minute, is how I'm taking that mark. Upon witnessing the word bearer's attack, Roboot Gilliman and his officers could only conclude that the sons of Logar had made some tragic mistake. Others assumed that the word bearers had misconstrued the death of the Calith Viridian anchor as an enemy assault and were firing blindly, their systems or senses so confused by the calamity that they were unable to tell friend from foe. Others believed that the word bearers feared that the Ultramarines had taken it upon themselves to censure them again just like on Monarchia, that the word bearers' worst unspoken fears had been confirmed, and that they saw no alternative but to fight for their very lives. Vox channels were choked with attempts to contact the word bearers and restore sanity, but even those vessels whose hailing systems were functional 
were unsuccessful. Only grim static and silence marked the word bearer's answer. Since the first moments of the disaster, the bridge crew of the Ultramarine's flagship, McCrig's Honor, had fought valiantly to restore Vox capability and establish contact with the word bearers. Finally, contact was made, limited to a grainy, hissing, flickering halo projection and an audio transmission laced with static and feedback. Dilliman demanded his brother stand his fleet down, swearing to Logar that the Ultramarines had played no part in whatever disaster was visiting Kalth. But Logar had no interest in speaking with his brother and instead spat a bitter curse before terminating the link. It was then that Gilliman saw what was unfolding could be no accident. As his fleet burned and the word bearers continued to cripple and destroy even more of his vessels with each passing minute, the Primarch of the Ultramarines gave an order he had never imagined he would have to speak. With bitter resolve, Reboot Gilliman ordered his sons to defend themselves. With the, and with this order, the Ultramarines began to return fire. Shortly after the Campanile exploded in orbit, a data shock of scrap code killed Mechanicus server Wool Kahal Hest through a vicious neural biofeedback mechanism con- commonly known as data shock among tech adepts, or officially termed hypertraumatic inland syndrome. Weapons fire hit the orbital watchtower at Calcus Fertili a nanosecond after the shockwave of data was unleashed by the word bearer's coordinated assault, and the data news sphere of Kalf immediately collapsed. Hess twisted in agony, absorbing the shared neural agony of several thousand deaths. Those of his Mechanicus brethren aboard the primary shipyards, docked vessels, and in the tower around him as they died. Their agony transmitted from their dying neural cortexes through their augmented systems into the new sphere they had been connected to at the moment of their death. With the death of Hess and his fellow Mechanicus personnel, all of the networked cogitator systems of Kalth went offline. Kalth's planetary defense grid ceased to function, leaving the entire Ultramarines fleet exposed and unable to mount any defense against the traitor's warship attack. Hess's second-in-command, Mir Edva Tarwin, a Magos Analytica, had not been killed by the infected scrap code. A basic Mechanicus data server protocol saved her life, where it required a server's second-in-command to unplug his or her neural interface from the data news sphere when a significant scrap code assault was underway ensuring that there was no danger of the deputy also being compromised by infected data. As Hess died in her arms, he charged his deputy with connecting herself to a working server and then attempting to reconstruct the new sphere and bringing the orbital defenses back online, forever cementing Magos Tarwin's role in the coming conflict. The new sphere is, it's like the internet the power grid, the water grid, every single civilian system that helps a planet function the way that we look at our planet functioning, water, power, trash, communications, that's the new sphere. It's all controlled by the mechanicus. So the new sphere is greater, but that's what that's what suffers when the new sphere goes down. Yeah. It's like the a, new sphere does everything for the mechanicus. They can look at a person and basically see their social media profile yeah. as imperial records. And it'll digital tell you everything. Footprint. Yeah, it'll it'll like they can pull all that data and it'll like hover around them in like a virtual reality system. It's almost like a, augmented reality. It's almost like RoboCop, where he's like looking around yeah. and like yeah, and running a background check on each every person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mechanicus personnel can do that. Normal civilians won't have the implants to do that, but the system is there. And so when that fails, everything that relies on all that, all the records it's connected to, all the power grid that it's also used to manage 
that all suffers. So this was like almost a virus that the uh, quote unquote, or I guess not quote unquote, but like the dark mech or like the traitor mechanicus sent towards Cal. This was yeah. this was kind a of. yeah, it was a bunch of cults was, that was were already sworn. Yeah, it was cults. It wasn't actually dark mechanicus. It was just they cults that followed the word bearers. Code. Oh, so and this is like it, warp fuckery. Yes. Okay. Scrap okay. Code is essentially binary cursing, like and curses in chaos uh, curse. In okay. Binary. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so what these people did is they they were chanting like in the beginning saying it was just names, so it wasn't picked up by the filters because it didn't look like data. It just looked like people saying their own name. Over. <laughs> they were like yeah. Jeff and eventually Sean, Robert, Michael. <laughs> right. But then you string enough of those together. And you get the name of a demon. Yeah. Uh, okay. Or you do it enough times that then the data starts to self corrupt. And it's only yeah. a matter of time before that then furthers. And that's how they got to that 2%. And then Gilligan was like, hmm, ignore. And I, I do like you know, somebody I, in the Mechanicus followed their own rules and said, you're being unplugged because that's the rule. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the one time it works for them. Uh, scrap code in viral data doesn't necessarily always mean chaos like scrap code is just it's just just junk it's just leftover you know like like think of think of coding a web page or think of coding any think of coding anything there is comments there's code that's been like commented out like it's no longer being used it's just there so to a certain extent when th- this mechanicus guy reported, you know, he reports to Gilliman. When Hest reports to Gilliman, hey, there's two percent like garbage and static in the system. Um, it's a little bit outside of operating procedures, but we can't, we don't really see a huge problem. Like it's, it's not like five percent, right? It's enough out of the norm that we need to track down and figure out where it's coming from. It's not enough out of the norm that we need to, to like shut things down and we, make yeah, and, and fix go this. full red protocol. Yeah, it's not crazy. If it was like up in the double digits, that's a big sign. Right. Like, imagine if your hard drive got two percent more full. You'd be like, "Hmm, that's weird. I must have double saved something." Yeah, yeah you, you don't. But if you your don't get hard to drive was all of a sudden like twenty five percent full, <laughs> yeah, if it just chunked up by twenty five percent. You'd be like, "Hmm, that's weird." Yeah, time to run a virus scan, and that's yep. probably what they did. You know, like, and the, the other thing is the timing of all of this. So this mechanicus hap, this mechanicus report happens. He turns to Gilliman and goes like, probably like, like say at 8 a.m., right? Gilliman gets this report from Hess that's like, hey, there's something going on with the new sphere. We're troubleshooting it. And Gilliman's like, all right, cool. Get back to me. And then at like 1030, the Campanile <laughs> comes tearing through everything. And then at 1035, the word bearers fleet opens fire. So Hess is guess. like... I think it's faster. In yeah, it probably I, I is. Say, it's probably I say, like I say eight, within fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah. I say all this happens within fifteen minutes for it to all work out yeah, right. Probably very, very well coordinated, very quickly coordinated. And, and, and that's, that's if you're planning an ambush strike, like to de- just if your goal is to absolutely ambush the shit and kill them now and make sure that they're never a problem in the future, then that would be the way to do it. Would be that time. Yeah, because yeah, you can't. Quick. You know the. The mechanicus doesn't have a chance to figure out what's going on before they start dying in like droves. And then them all dying causes Hest to essentially die. Like, you know, there's the scrap code starts to triple or you know, just just think about any hacker movie that exists. The virus starts to replicate itself. 
it doesn't matter when a one kilobyte virus replicates itself. It matters when the one kilobyte virus has been exponentially replicating itself for 15 minutes, because then it's no longer one kilobyte. Then it's like 40 tera. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's huge at that point. And then it like has its own name and it's being mad. The other thing to keep in mind with the new sphere, too, is that all of the machine spirits, the AI, every AI system, every machine spirit system that controls orbital guns, shields, you know, anything, all of those drop at the same time, too. And most of these systems are either servitor or machine spirit driven. There is no person at the orbital lance ready to take over and fire it. There are people on call in case this happens. They're all but... probably asleep when this is happening, too. Knowing the word bearers, it would probably have done it right before everybody went to breakfast. Shift, right, shift change. And the other thing is, you know, you never expect, when you build a redundant system like this, you never expect the entire system to drop at once. You expect 25%. It's, it's 40, it, you know, it goes it's three times redundant. to cascade failure. Yeah. 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 If more than 25% of it goes down, then we're probably fucked anyway. Right, right. And this is a case where like 33% of it goes down. And then very quickly, it goes from 33% to 99%, like within a minute or two. Yeah. 20 minutes later, later Logar's given Gilman the middle finger. <laughs> 20 minutes, yes. Logar. Yep. <laughs> 20, 20 minutes, Logar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instead of longer. But like, it's one of those things where like these guys, that these backup crews are getting called to their gun stations. And as they're running to their gun stations, their gun stations, the stations gone. blowing up. Yeah. It, it's literally the scene from Dude. Get everything with a gun off the, in, off the air ground. In the 100%. Air. Yeah. 100%. It's, and they're just getting annihilated. And at that point, you got Sardaukar dropping in. Or as Marky pointed out, it's the attack on Pearl Harbor. Yeah, very by much the, so. By the all, time you realize what's going are on. very similar in that way where that's, I mean, that's how it has to happen. Yeah, yeah, it does. It definitely does. And, and in this case, it's not from an enemy that you thought was an enemy until this moment. It's, it's literally when Roboot sends that message. He's like, hey, um, pretty sure this is a mistake. Uh, call, call me back so we can figure hey, Logar, it out. Just let me know. <laughs> okay, right? Logar goes, fuck you, you're a fucking bitch in transmission. Yeah. And hangs up. And then <laughs> yeah. Roboot's I, like, I thought oh. Logar was more like, lol, TK. Yeah, probably. <laughs> was like, oh, hey, Roboot. Hey, Roboot, what? Fuck Team you. Yeah. <laughs> I was is that rocks fall. What do you mean, Rock's fault? Generate new character. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, yeah, it could it could totally be the the two guys on the islands. What's your name? Yeah, I was thinking that. Reboot. What's your Fuck name? You. Oh God! <laughs> Fuck you, Reboot. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> that that's how you can sum up the entire heresy. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's a huge chunk of the Harrison. As debris began to fall from the clouds, long tails of fire dragged behind these meteorites of shattered ships and fortifications. They erect long lines of destruction across Cal's peaceful river valley near Polkas Fortalis, like artillery strikes tearing apart a no man's land on some distant planet war zone, turning the picturesque green fields and blue skies into an angry red and black rolling monster. And that's where we will wrap up episode one of the Battle of Calf. Yeah, again, like I said, I read the book, and there there is some really because uh, you get to meet other characters of the Ultramarines. Like, there's a really cool yeah. character that's gonna be in charge of like Calf, the whole thing, and he's got like 
the Mechanicum loves this guy, builds him a whole body. Well, he, you know, it's unfortunate he doesn't make it very far. Again, just like Istvan 3 and Istvan 5. So, so Istvan 3 and Istvan 5 very much determined who the traitors are and who the loyalists are, and very much determined how the traitors and the loyalists kind of act. Ultramar, or um, not Ultramar, the Battle of Kalth very much determines how Roboot will write the Imperialis Codice later. Yep. The, yeah. the yep. document that the chapters are supposed to use. This is where. This battle this is where, he's is like, where... Damn, there's too many of these guys to fight at once. That's fucked. <laughs> yeah. And this is also the battle where red helmets on sergeants yeah. comes into play. Yeah. Ah, yeah. There's yeah, a lot so of things cool. in the Imperial, in the Imperialis Astartes Codis, Codices. Uh, I mean, we'll I, save I, that I might for be next getting time. that document we'll, name wrong. We'll, we'll save yeah. that for next time. But that, that to me is so cool how the red helmet comes about. Yeah, it's super neat. It's basically a dude. Like before the Battle of Calf, like not and not that long before the Battle of Calf, <laughs> a guy a like, like a, a month before the Battle of come out. Yeah, it's like, hey, uh, maybe we should start practicing to fight against other Space Marines because that might happen. And they were like, that's You're an heresy. Idiot. Why would you do that? Why would you ever want to do that? Because <laughs> the the guy that's all about having all the backup plans doesn't have a backup plan. That's yeah. why. <laughs> They're like, You're an idiot. Uh, and you're no longer a captain, you're a sergeant, and because you've been demoted, paint your helmet red, you dumb dumb bitch. Because you are and now he was the only censored. sergeant with the Yeah, he was the only sergeant with the red helmet. And then this happens, and then Gilliman's like, Oh, I guess all sergeants need red helmets now. That guy was <laughs> like, right. He, he was right. <laughs> Bob over there, Bob was right. His name's not Bob. We'll, we'll get in we'll get into his That's supposed to be uh, like Scarlet Letter kind of like kind of yeah, deal. a little bit. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> it was kind of a punishment. It's it's to point out somebody it that's being censored. Out. Yeah. Like that's the guy that's a slut for killing other space marines. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> that's the guy that doesn't give a uh, reach around. <laughs> Want to get into contact with us about any of our episodes or about the show itself? You can reach us through email at underthehiveofmadness at gmail.com. Feel free to join our community on Discord. Not only there can you talk about things like the lore, hobby, tactics of Warhammer 40k, but you can also get involved with other topics such as Age of Sigmar, Magic the Gathering, RPGs, video games, and much more. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website, underthehiveofmadness.com. Spelling and links should be in the show notes below. Help the podcast grow by liking and reviewing us wherever you get your podcast fix. Our home is on Spotify, but we are also on Apple, Google, Audible, and many more. Help the podcast grow by liking and reviewing us wherever you get your podcast fix. We are on Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible, and many more. You can also support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash under the hive of madness. All Patreon members get access to video podcasts with minimal editing. So you can see our beautiful faces and hear all of the times that I put commas and periods and sentences that don't actually fucking exist in my notes. All Patreon levels also get access to our quarterly painting contests. Plus we have perks at higher levels. So go on over and check that out. You probably also get a lot of entertainment from me completely stumbling over some of these like, hey, did you ever wonder what a dude with 17 consonants and one vowel in his name would sound like? No, GW, I never did. But now you know. <laughs> That's an interesting the... name to read in my head. It's not an interesting name to read out loud. Have you ever <laughs> farted so hard that like it hurt? Like That's kind of what this guy's name sounds like. Some of these names so definitely do. So not sure. <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> Not sure. I, I wonder whether or not, like, like it, when people met him 
you know, like the first time he's introduced to a new legionnaire, the guy's like, right. oh, Captain Tachor. And he's like, it's not Tachor, it's pronounced Chor. And you're like, well, <laughs> right? how the fuck would I know Mr. T in front of <laughs> C-H-U-R-E? <laughs> right. And if there was an apostrophe, oh I would God. definitely call it Tachor. Tachor, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But without it, you're like, that. that's a silent T, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, or imagine way. every, like, all of us are old enough to remember probably reading the first Harry Potter book and trying to pronounce Hermione the first time. Never heard that word before in your life. You're like, right? I haven't read the book. Oh, it's, it's just, it looks really weird when you're like 10 years old trying to figure out this yeah. name that you've yeah, never like, read before. And Kevin, I was <laughs> I really not like that 10 years old. <laughs> I don't remember how old I actually was, but I'm sure there were plenty of people who were 10 years old trying to read that book. <laughs> probably. The one that always got me was the uh, the Benny Gesserit. So the Benny Gesserit from Dune and the Aes Sedai from Wheel of Time. There was back when I was in late high school, early college, I was starting to really get into all the creative writing stuff. There was a huge argument as to whether or not it was the Benny Gesserit or the Benai Juicerit, and then the Aes Sedai or the Esedi Desedi or something. Like there was this huge argument on how to pronounce it, and I was literally like at that point. I got kind of into it because I was like, oh, this is interesting. Let's let's dig into the lore and go back and forth and blah, 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 the blah. Button, and then very, the very button. quickly, I was like, this is this is stupid. Much. These are made up fucking words. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, the benign. I mean, obviously. The benign yeah. juicing it. The benign juicing it. Obviously, it's gotten to a point mm -hmm. where everybody pronounces it Benny Gesserit. And I want to say, I haven't seen the Amazon.com show, but I say I Sedai a lot. And I know a lot of people who watched the Wheel of Time show and nobody's corrected me. So I'm guessing that's the way that it's actually pronounced, but it's just interesting. It's interesting how made up words, uh, yeah. They, they develop a fandom of their own pronunciations. <laughs> yeah. And I really like uh, the way that Marky pronounced Istvan. I really like, I, I've been trying to do more Istvan because I always thought Istvan and there is, there is no, you're right. There is no There's extra, no extra syllable there, yeah. but it feels like there should be, I don't know why I, I almost wonder if it's because I heard an audiobook version of the Istvan three or Istvan five atrocity. And the dude pronounced it that way. Cause that's another thing that happens. As soon as something is pronounced to you, it screws you up. Like, cause that's like, what you think it's supposed to be. Right. Like how I used to say, Atreides instead of Astardes. It literally came from the fact that Dune was something that I was reading at the time, and, and you just defaulted. My brain just wouldn't wouldn't let me read it properly. Yeah, you got better. I did. I'm better now. Uh, now I say Astardes <laughs> way more than I say Atreides. Well, that was another killer set from Battle Barge Death Cry here at the Cracked Elysium. Remember, Cracked Elysium, your number one source for all things electro death, fuck metal, synth core, and blood grind, or whatever, whatever else. What was the other one? Did I fuck just make metal? Up? Just say fuck, fuck metal twice. I said fuck metal. Fuck metal. <laughs> fuck metal twice. <laughs> Black so fuck metal. Double the fuck. <laughs> Check out all Cracked Elysium's new show listings on the Arconia Newsphere. Working hard to be everything that your mama and the our bodies warned you about, all while shattering whatever's left of the peace here in the Underhive, we are 665.66UHMR Camrat Radio. Reminding all of you Camrats, hive mice, and sump ghoulies to keep those dials fixed. 
right here. Same ratty frequency for the same ratty ass attitude. In the underhives dim where the shadows play tricks, beware, little ones, of the forearmed emperor's tricks. Stay close to the light. Hold my hand. Never roam, or their arms might snatch you and lead you far from home. It's good. Oh, little motherfuckers. Little, little motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. Should probably go read a book. <laughs> but motherfucking kids. <laughs> Fuck them kids. Getting led away by the four. Well, thanks for coming. <laughs>